today's reading is Galatians 3:23 through 4:7. Now before faith came we uh, came we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Mean that the... the the heir, as long as he is at child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers under, until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we are, were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are in a series on our identity, our identity as sons and daughters in Christ. And if you have not been with us, this is part five. And each of the messages, I mean, last week, the first few messages was just trying to build up to, it took to part four before I could finally say, you're a son and daughter of God. You're a son of God, as as the Bible says. And... I've really been looking forward to these next couple of messages today, part five and part six. We're going to talk about um, a very important part of sonship, which is being an heir, having an inheritance. What does that mean? That's what we're going to talk about today. And in order, I mean, instead of giving you a big old recap, what I thought I'd do is I would take a look at, let's take a look at this passage that gives us a little bit of a recap to bring us up to speed. And today, let's talk about this question of being an heir. So let's go to verse 23. This is what it says. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So, you know, uh, part one of our message was about this problem that we have about identity. And we like to think that we're going to choose, you know, we're free Americans, right? And we get to choose and we get to shape our identity based upon what we like. And one of the things that we said was that whenever we do this, there is a problem, and the problem is that of the law. Now, most, you know, most Americans don't think that we're under law, like law of God, but you all are. Whatever you build your identity upon has its own standards and laws. And whatever that is, you must obey those laws if you want that your identity to be fulfilled by those laws. And even right here, it says, as we were talking in these previous weeks, now that faith has come, and these last, last week, I was talking to you that faith, for a lot of us, are, you know, kind of like present-day 21st century Americans, even if you're a Christian, we tend to think of faith as something that you believe through your head. 
But that's not the way the Bible looks at it. It isn't merely, it is, of course, it includes what you believe in your mind, but it's much more than that. And that faith, faith is about a deep trust that faith itself is a relationship. And that now that faith has come, it's a relationship that we've been given through someone named Abraham and through a whole project that God did through Abraham to create sons and daughters of God. And if you believe in those promises, you have this relationship. This is what we're talking about. This leads us to our identity. And so then verse 24, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under this guardian. And I taught you guys last week that guardian, this, this idea that the law is a guardian. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, we don't tend to think in terms of a guardian. <laughs> and so I, I tend to translate this concept of the law as a guardian as, so how about more like a babysitter? And, you know, it's, uh, babysitters are good because you don't want a four-year-old sitting at home <laughs> by himself or herself when mom and dad aren't around, right? Because that would just be flat out dangerous for the child. And so you need a babysitter who has rules. That's what like the law is. And says you can do this and you can't do this when mom and dad are, aren't around. And that's what a babysitter is for. But a babysitter can't love you, not the way mom and dad can, right? A babysitter can't give you an inheritance. A babysitter can't give you his name, can't give you an identity. A babysitter can't give you the fullness of your life that we seek, right? It has to only come from your father or from your mother. It comes from your family. It comes from your father. And so this is where the Bible is getting that only that through Abraham, a, a, a process was set about, a promise. And that, that God was going to create and make people into his sons and daughters if they would cling to the promises and this great deep relationship that was offered through Abraham, except we tend to get stuck on the faith, that we get stuck on the law. And here it says, it's not the law. What you need is, the law is a good thing, like the babysitter's good, but you need to get beyond this. And then he goes on to say, so that now that you are um, have faith, so as many of you were, so um, here we go, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, here's the, here's the identity, you, <clears throat> for in Christ Jesus, you are sons, all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. How do you become a son of God? There is a, there is a right, R-I-T-E, a right that you must go through. You have faith. And then you are sealed into this deep relationship, which is called Covenant. And that right is called baptism. Baptism is what, what, what brings you into Christ and makes you a son or daughter of God. And then he goes on to say this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Now, I said to you last week, ladies, I, I, I said, this is strange, that, but do you know, ladies, that you're a son? Isn't that strange? It's strange. Why? It's not about being whether you're a man or a woman. Because it says right there you're not a man or a woman. Because the key issue here was, do you have the full rights and the full privileges of being a son? And in this culture back then, this is the picture that's being used. And by the way, most cultures today too, 
not everybody, one of the key ways that you know you have the full rights of being a son is that you would receive an inheritance. You would be named the heir. And many of you already know this, that most cultures, and then probably maybe most, not everybody became the heir. Um, at least in this culture, daughters didn't, weren't heirs, and not even all the sons were heirs. That um, especially the, the first son received most of the inheritance, and that's why he was called the heir. Maybe another son wasn't an heir. And he goes on to say, it isn't your ethnicity, whether you're Jew or whether you're Greek. We don't have too many Jews or Greeks. This room. By the way, Jew, uh, Greek doesn't mean necessarily Greek itself. It means of the Greek non-Jewish culture back then. And it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, because you could, you could be a slave or free. And it doesn't even matter whether you're a man or a woman. You get a chance to be a son. And one of the key things of being a son is you get to be an heir. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what it says in verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs. Heirs according to the promise. And let's get into that now. Okay, that's a big mouthful. <laughs> that's the intro. In three parts, heirs of the family glory. Part one, inheritance and the family business and its glory. Okay, put that in parentheses. Inheritance and the family business and its glory. Part two, there's a problem. The problem of inheritance, and that is if you're going to receive an inheritance, you must have a spirit of sonship. You must have a spirit of sonship, but we lack the spirit of sonship. The problem of inheritance is the lack of the spirit of sonship. And part three, receiving the inheritance through the spirit of God himself. Okay? Receiving the inheritance, receiving being an heir, receiving sonship through the spirit of God. Now let's get into this part one. What is an heir? Well, quite simply, an heir is one who inherits. And what is an inheritance? I mean, um, most of us in America, you know, we, we expect to live long lives. <laughs> you know, this is, a, this is a prosperous country. And so, you know, death and, the, and even the death of our parents, that's not something that's uh, regularly on our minds. But through most people's lives, that's a really important matter. And inheritance in America, we mostly think about possessions or money. So if your mother or your father passed away, you tend to think, I will probably get the house. <laughs> you know, or maybe my brother and I and my brother, sister and I, you know, we'll get the estate and we'll split up if they had a retirement account. We'll split up the stocks and, you know, maybe we'll sell the house and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll each get a third or something like this, depending on how many children are in the family. That's how we tend to think of of, uh, of the money and the inheritance of the wealth. That's what is meant by the estate after um, when uh, it's called estate after someone passed away. But do you know there's a lot more than that? Throughout almost every other culture, when they talked about being an heir, you didn't just receive money or possessions. You received a name. You received all the privileges of your family name. You received um, the honor due your family. So if your father had a certain honor, and all your family especially, then you would receive it as well. And you would also receive the family business. Hmm. Now let me say something about this. Um, the family business. Now most of us in America, we have a very, very poor understanding of business. Most people think business is the way that you make money. That is horrible. That is not what business is. 
Here's what business really is about. Business is that you offer something beautiful to the world. Your family or your people who are in the business know something about how to offer something beautiful to the world. You offer this beautiful thing to the world that other people need. And then because they need it, they honor you with money. That's what it is. Money, we tend to think of it as, as just merely transactional. But actually, most people in the world understood it as there's something that other people have that they bless other people in the community with that we all deeply need, and, they, and then we honor them back, and then money is the way you do it. So um, if you're thirsty, you might go down to, to the local 7-Eleven, and you'll get a Slurpee. And, and you know, I know that sounds kind of strange, but a Slurpee isn't really much of a thing, you know, like a big gulp. So you give them $1.25. Do you know that money is our treasure? <laughs> and whatever you give your treasure to, you're honoring. You're honoring them. It's a relationship. You're honoring them. And, of course, the more of a treasure it is, the, the more important it is to you, the more you're willing to honor them with your treasure. That's why a big up is only $1.25 because there's not much of a treasure, right? Now, but something that's really more important, you'll get far more of your treasure. This is what business is really about. And so... At the center of business is not really money and the transaction of money. Really, at the center of business is something beautiful, which the Bible calls glory. In your family's business, you know something glorious that you offer to the world. You're good at this. And when it's handed down, you, when you are an heir and you inherit, you don't just inherit money from your dad or your or your, or your mother's name, what you inherit, you inherit the family's glory, the family's business. And then you must learn how to receive this. You can't just go, okay, now I got it, now I got money, and now, you know, like nowadays we have these things called like you know, trust fund babies, and like we, one of, maybe one of the most um, famous is, is Paris Hilton. And, um, you know, she has received the, you know, the Hilton. That's a good name. You know why? Because they have, they have an honor, they have a glory. What is that? They know how to provide really good hotels. And any of you ever stayed in a Hilton? I have. And you know what? They are better than a lot of the other hotels. And, but you have this child, and she is this rich, spoiled girl from a rich family. And what does that name mean? Does, does, does she, has she really received the deep inheritance, the glory of the family business? Or has she just kind of used all her money to be you know, a party girl? That's what she's famous for, right? And this is the problem that we're talking about today. Are you going to be more like Paris Hilton and just take money? Or are we really going to receive the fullness of the inheritance of the family business and its glory? Now, um, I, I was a, I, a number of you may know that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sports fan. And um, the last few years, you know, American football, I don't know if you know this, there's a lot of things in the news about American football because people are finding out that if you are a football player, there's head injuries. And so now people are saying, you know, it's poor kids that play football, and we're kind of like abusing these poor kids, and this is really bad. And, and so people who's, who deeply love football are wrestling with this question, is, is football a bad thing, or is it a beautiful, glorious thing? And I remember reading an article about this family, and this family, guess what? Most people, if you're, you know, a lot of the people in this room are Asian, and you know how, how, the, how the Asians do it is, you sit, the, the, the Asian family business, at least when they're young, is academics. 
That's the family business, or at least it's not really the family business. What we're interested in is we want you to do well in this life. And, and, and the way it's done today is you've got to go through various levels of school, get into a really good college and maybe even a graduate school. And then you get to be something like a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer and all these other things that make really good money. And then that's how we get our identity. We, get, we have the, the schools, and then we have the degree, and then we have the standards, the law of like being a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it is, and then we think, then we get the honor, then we get the money, then we get the respect, then we get the name. So that's why some people care about not just being Joe whatever, but they go, well, doctor so-and-so. They like that title that's after it. And because that's how we were, this is the modern way that we think we're in control, that if we just do this, this is how we're going to get our identity. But all throughout history, people realize that's not the only way to do it. And there's a family that I was reading about. They weren't interested so much in the academics. The, the, the father of the family was an NFL football player. He wasn't somebody famous. But he came from a really poor background. And what happened was he, you know, he was a good athlete. He played football and got a scholarship, and then actually made it to the NFL, and then he, it made, he gave him a really good living. And then, it, and then his family loved football. And then they began to say, how can football be a bad thing? Because football gave us everything in life. It gave our family, it gave our, family our house. It gave us our clothes. It gave us respect. It gave us, it, that, that family, the family business was football. <laughs> And they're wrestling with this question, like, can we pass on the family business to our sons and daughters because of this concussion problem? But not only did the sons play football, but even their daughters went into football. I mean, one of them, I think, started uh, working for an NFL team when, they, when, they, um, when the daughter grew up. So that became this family glory that was passed down. That's today. Now, if you think this is um, unusual, I, I looked this up. Um, you guys know the name Jones? It's, like, it's one of the most common family names in America, right? Jones. You know what Jones means? Jones means belonging to John. <laughs> J-O-N, John, Johns. It's Johns. Jones literally means Johns, right? And you've heard, this, um, you've heard this last name, Johnson. Johnson, what do you think Johnson means? It means son of John, right? That's really what it means. Do you know that Johnson and Jones, that's basically the same name. If you, next time you meet a Johnson and you meet a Jones, I mean, think, how many Johnsons and Jones are there in America? I mean, like, gosh, they're all sons of John. That's what it means. Um, think of a Williams. What do you think Williams means? Same thing. Of William. William's son, same thing. Um, how about one more that maybe that, that, uh, that you might not have thought of? I, this was new to me, too. Davis. What do you think Davis means? Davis means Davids. <laughs> That's what it means. It's like they took that Davids, except they just, it just became Davis. David's son. <laughs> Davis means son of David. That's what it means. And so, but, you know, that would be an obvious identity. That's the way in so many other cultures, so, you know, you were a son of somebody, and that's how you got your family name. But how about this? You, the, one of the other most common family names is Smith. What do you think Smith means? You have any idea? A Smith is a blacksmith, exactly. And so in a town, you go, you know, go to town, think about before cars. A Smith is a metal worker. And there's a family, what kind of a, what kind of a life would you have if nobody was a metal worker? Nobody had that glory. 
Nobody can offer that beauty into your world. Um, you have a horse, and the horse needs, uh, you know, you, you need that horseshoe. Otherwise, the horse couldn't do all the work that it does. Or there's no metal workers in your town, so, oh, gosh, there's, we don't have any tools. We would be poor, and we'd be starving, right? And so Smith isn't just, all the Smiths come from the family of the blacksmiths. And so they're not just, that's not just their name. That's the way we honor them. That's their identity. That's the way they make their money. That's the way they gain their respect. See it? Smith or Miller. What do you think Miller means? Miller are the, yes, are the people who worked in the grain mill. You think we need some people who work in the grain mill? If we don't, I think we would all probably starve, don't you think? And how about one more that, um, that maybe you're not familiar with? Um, you ever ter- heard, heard the name Cohen? Any of you guys know any Cohens? So-and-so Cohen, Aaron Cohen, or something like that. You know what Cohen means? Cohen is a Jewish name, and it's, it, it derives from the Hebrew for priest. The, the, the family glory, the family business is, well, at least you go back far enough, was the priest, was being priest. And um, so this is the way it was, except Nowadays, we don't really know how to think this way because we think we're all just individuals and I'm just going to go make my own identity. But instead, this is the way it was. And this is what the Bible is trying to get at. I'm trying to unpack this passage for you so you can see its beauty. Now, you're being invited. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you're being invited to a whole new identity, a whole new family, and you get to be an heir, an inheritor of the family business and its glory. And you know what the family business of God is? That comes all the way from this guy, the father of this family who had started, this guy named Abraham. And you know what the family, family business is? It's the redemption of the whole world. That's what it is. That's a pretty important business, don't you think? The family glory and business of this family is uh, the way the Bible puts it. The, in, in this, in, if you go back to last week's passages, the blessing of all nations. And if you are go- and I are really going to be sons and daughters of God and receive inheritance, we must embrace the glory, the beauty of the family business. And that is the redemption of all nations. That's part one, okay? That's part one. Let me go to part two of my message. Um, you know, there's all these different families and I don't know if your family has something that you, that you see is really important to you that makes you who you are. I mean, like, um, my, my wife likes uh, this TV show called uh, Blue Bloods. You guys ever watch the show Blue Bloods? Isn't it? Like, are we the only people in this whole church that watches that show? <laughs> um, but it's a really good show. And Blue Bloods is about a family. Um, it's, a, it's an Irish Catholic family. They're the Reagans. And um, I have no idea what the political persuasion of the person who come up with this show is, all right? I mean, you can't tell if they're conservative or liberal, all right? Which is good. But they're the Reagans. And, um, the, the, and they're called the Blue Bloods because it's by blood. But they're not blue because they're rich. They're blue because they're all cops. And so it, they have these family dinners. Every episode they have a Sunday family dinner, and there's four generations sitting at the table. You have... You have um, you have the great-grandfather, and he is a retired, I think it's right, great-grandfather. One, two, yes, that's right. He's a, he's, a, he's a former retired police commissioner of New York City, one of the most top cops in the country. And then you have the grandfather, played by Tom Selleck, and he, he's sort of like the acting patriarch of the family. And he's the current commissioner of, uh, of, the, of the New York Police Department. And then they have two sons, 
which they used to have three sons, but one was killed in duty, and they often talk about that son, and a daughter, and they're all in the family business. One is a beat patrol cop, one is a detective, and then the daughter's in the family business too. You know, she, she's the assistant district attorney of New York City, and then they have, you know, then they have some grandchildren. And you know what? What, let me, let me put it to you this way. What, if they're all cops, you're like, we know what cops are, but is that the business, being a police? What is the glory? Let me ask you. What is the glory that they offer to the world if your family business is being a police? That glory that they offer to the world is justice. Huh. And you think that's important? I think that's important. Now, most of us, we, we've been, we're so fixated on like, I'm going to go be a great entrepreneur. I'm going to be a great engineer. I'm going to be a perfect mom or something like this. And this, I'm going to make my own identity that we don't know how to receive. We don't have to inherit something far greater, a family business that I'm calling it, a glory. And it needs to be something far bigger than us so it can shape us and give us a deep identity. And what we don't know how to do is we don't know how to receive this. And for these last few weeks, I've been wrestling with, how do you make this passage come to life? Because I'm sure you're all smart enough to understand this at a, con- at a concept level, but c- can you make this feel like alive? You can feel the power of this passage. And um, the Lord gave this to me um, a couple weeks ago, a, a way to try to help you to see this, and I hope this will be helpful to you. Last week, I, 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 t- um, I, I gave you the illustration of the movie Karate Kid, <laughs> and, I, and I said to you, it's a strange movie because you think it's about karate, but it's not. <laughs> the movie is about a father helping a son. Really, it's like it's a, it's a Japanese father. <laughs> it's a Japanese father taking on a skinny Italian son, right? That's what the movie is about. And the glory of the family is the beauty of defense, defending the weak through karate. That's the glory of the family. Um, and the drama of that movie is Ralph, the skinny Ralph Macchio, you know, Daniel LaRusso, he has to learn how to receive the family inheritance through his father, Mr. Miyagi, right? Um, I, I want to give you a different illustration today, um, a different movie. Have any of you seen the movie uh, Ramen Girl? Who, anyone seen the movie Ramen Girl? Nobody's seen Ramen Girl, okay? One person, oh, you're, you're great, all right? But maybe you haven't thought about the movie this way. And um, maybe, maybe I would encourage you to see the movie. It's, it's not a great movie, but it's a good movie. And I, th- I think at the center of the movie is, is a beautiful story. And again, it's not about karate. It's not about ramen. The movie's not about ramen, actually. Okay? I, when I first watched this movie, um, you know, a while back, my wife was like, oh, it's pretty interesting. I like ramen. You know, some cross, I learned some things about cross-cultural. Interesting. And then I put it away. And then lately, my son, he likes Japanese ramen. So he goes, I want to see Ramen Girl, Dad. <laughs> so, you know, a couple weeks ago, we watched Ramen Girl. And in the middle of the second time I watched it, I'm like, it's not about ramen. <laughs> and, um, I'm going to sort of kind of ruin this movie for you, so just forgive me. But it's still worth watching, okay? And maybe you won't, you'll, you'll think about this differently. Um, in the, what the movie is about is there's a girl. Um, she's a young American. She's blonde. She's sort of like Paris Hilton, spoiled. <laughs> and um, she moves to Japan to be with her boyfriend. You know, she's like, oh, I'm a romantic. I'm going to cast off my life and go to Tokyo to go be with my boyfriend. And at the beginning of the movie, this guy, he's like a total jerk. 
and he, you know, he, his job takes him off to Shanghai, and he basically just dumps her. <laughs> and so she's this pathetic, spoiled, blonde American girl. She's, you know, she starts feeling sorry for herself, and she's miserable, and she's crying. And across the street from her apartment is a ramen shop. So she goes across. It's just this terrible rainy day, and she goes and eats ramen, and the ramen gives her joy. And she has this miserable job where she has to translate things and, you know, at, at, at for this Japanese corporation, and you know, she hates her job. And so she gets this idea. She walks into the ramen shop and tells the, 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 the ramen chef, who apparently is this great ramen chef, as you find out in the movie, it, the ramen chef was, was, was taught by this grandmaster. <laughs> I mean, did, I, did you know there was grandmasters of ramen cooking? I didn't know that, okay? But apparently there is, okay? And he's this great ramen chef. And she says, I want to, you to teach me how to make ramen. And she, she asked her coworker, hey, do you know how to make ramen? And her coworker goes, no. It's like, well, how come? And she says, because it's too difficult. <laughs> you need training. Somebody who's really good has to teach you how to do this. And so she just walks right into the, you know, the, the ramen shop and asks this guy, would you, would you, and of course he thinks she's nuts. <laughs> he looks at this like this uh, blonde girl, like she's nuts, and he he, he starts calling her the lunatic. <laughs> and she comes in, and he goes, "Okay, okay, then show up early." And she shows, she wakes, she gets up at 5 a.m. and she shows up. And not unlike Mr. Miyagi in Karate Kid, he starts making her do all this like grunt work. So at first, he just makes her clean, and including takes her into the toilet, and they have one of those toilets that's, you know, that you squat on the ground, and it's like it's gross, and he makes her clean this thing up. And she has to do all this work, and, and after a while, um, you know, the, the regulars who are in the ramen shop, they see this. They see, you know, I mean, how can you not notice the blonde girl <laughs> cleaning and cooking in the ramen shop? And all the regulars start to know that this drama is going on, that the, the ramen chef is like riding and working this girl really hard. And they're starting, they're nervous that he's going to that break her or she's going to get really angry and rebel. And that's exactly what happens. She complains. She's like, you're just making me a slave. And all I have to do is I have to do all this work and I'm just cooked. I have to clean. I'm, even, like, I'm supposed to learn ramen here. And, he's like, and the first thing, she doesn't get that the first thing is like, before you, like, you have to just learn how to be clean the right way. And she can't even get that. And so she gets angry at him. She yells at him and says, I quit. And she walks out, right? And she goes back to her apartment, and she looks at her apartment, and then there's just like trash, and it's just a wreck. And she, and it's sort of like she begins to realize that, the, that her apartment is like a little bit of a metaphor of her life. She says, "I'm a wreck. I'm, I don't know what I'm doing." <laughs> and so she goes back, and then so the next morning, you know, the, the ramen chef thinks like, "All right, that's enough of the lunatic. She left," and uh, and he and he's setting up his 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 uh, his restaurant. And there she is. She's sitting there, and she's, you know, she's like stacking the chopsticks. And she says in Japanese, I'm sorry. And she begins to confess to him. She says, my own father, you know, the one in America, says, I, I've never finished anything in my life. And all I've been doing is I'm just a sad person sitting here, wait, hoping that my boyfriend will come back from Shanghai. But, you know, I was thinking of leaving, and... There's only one reason that I thought I'd stay, which is I want to be your student. And so then she comes to a whole new humility. 
and she begins to obey him and work really hard, except she still doesn't get it. She still doesn't get it. She thinks if you do all the things, you do all the activities, the external activities, learn all the techniques of making ramen, then you can be a really good ramen chef. So she tries to, she, 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 she watches him like a hawk and tries to do everything exactly the way he does it. And there's this beautiful portion in the middle of the movie where he, he gives her this lesson. He has this bowl of ramen. I mean, I love this part of the movie. He has this bowl of ramen. He goes, now look. So this is, this is, okay, let me get this right. <laughs> I, actually, I actually wrote the lines down. It says, the, a bowl of ramen is a self-contained universe. It has something of life from the mountain and from the ocean and from the land. It's all there. And so you guys know what this is like. Obviously, there's some kind of seafood. That's from the ocean. And there's some kind of like vegetable or root. That's from the mountain. And then, you know, from the land, that's like the, the, the slice of pork. She says, this is all the life that's, that, that, that all of the earth is giving. But the broth, the broth is what gives all these things life itself. The broth. So, it's, so you, you learn that the broth is life-giving. And so, um, he, so then he says, okay, now look at the, at the bowl of ramen. Just observe it. Observe the ramen. That's what he says to her. And, he's, and she looks at him. And he goes, like, why are you looking at me? He starts yelling at her. Why are you looking at me, you dumb girl? And he starts yelling at her. And, and then they start fighting all over again. And he's just really frustrated because what he's trying to teach her is it's not the techniques or the things that you do. There's something beautiful. It's life-giving. It's, it's the glory. You see it? It's the glory of the ramen. <laughs> and she has to get it. And he says, there's a spirit the spirit must go into the broth, otherwise it won't be any good. And Abby, that's her name, Abby works really hard, and she, she's trying, she, she, she doesn't get it. So she just, all she does is just copy what she sees, and she makes this big old pot of broth, and he comes in, and then he takes this pot, and then he just dumps it all out. He doesn't even taste it. He just dumps it all out. And, and then the, the, the regulars in the restaurant go, <gasps> you know, they, they're, they're shocked. And then she gets really upset. She's like, are you crazy? And she gets, she really, she gets upset. And then, you know, then she you know, calms down and tries to get humble again. And then she says, you know, sensei, would you please taste my broth? And then he walks by and he takes a little sip. And then he just looks at her and with sadness goes, just shakes his head. And he lives above the restaurant, so then he walks to the back, and he's about to go upstairs, about, you know, up to his apartment above the restaurant, and she's desperate now. So she runs to him, and she's desperate, and she says, she says, sensei, you know, like, please help me. Please help me. And then she says, please help me. And then she says, help me have, and then she goes, tamashin, spirit. Help me have spirit. And he just looks at her with sadness, and then he walks upstairs. And then right in the next sequence... This is what happens. They're driving in a truck, and they're going off to a rural place, off to uh, you know, some house that's clearly in the countryside. And he, the ramen chef, takes this girl, this young girl, to his mother. And she has this box you know, with all the instruments. And then she makes a bowl of ramen for the, the great ramen chef's mother. And so they sit there. You know, the three of them are sitting there. And the, and the, and the mother... Sips the, takes the, you know, of the broth and looks at her son and says, it's, it's, the broth is bland. You know what she's saying? It doesn't have life. It lacks the spirit. 
And, and then this is what, you know, okay, let me get this right. This is what he says. I wonder why, you know, the, the chef sister's mother, I wonder why um, she has mastered the technique perfectly. And then the mother says back, um, sometimes too much technical training, so much just the focus on the technique gets in the way. And then she turns to Abby and says this, you cook with your head. You understand? But your head is full of noise. And then she goes, wah, 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 wah. There's too much like, noise up there. You must learn to cook from a quieter place deep inside of you. And you know what Abby says? She looks at her and goes, but how? And the mother goes, this is, the, this, is, this is what she says. Each bowl of ramen that you prepare is a gift to your customer. The food that you serve your customer becomes a part of them. It contains your spirit. That's why your ramen must be an expression of pure love, a gift from your heart. Do you understand? And um, right at that moment, right after he says that, the, the, the son, his, his eyes light up, and he gets so grateful. And he bows down to his mother, and he says, Domo arigato. Thank you so much. He like, honors his mother for her deep wisdom. And then you know what Abby says back to the mother? I don't know anything about love. Every time I feel it, it's gone. It disappears. And all I have left is pain and sadness. And then the mother looks at her and says, then begin by putting your tears into the broth. That's what she said. So in the very next sequence, Abby works really hard at, at this broth, and she literally just starts crying. She starts pouring herself, and she starts crying into the broth. And then they serve it to the regulars. You know, they serve it to these four regulars, and each of them eat, eat, eat their, and then you know what they start? They all start crying. <laughs> they eat, and they start crying. The first guy, he starts, and you know, he's like a guy in his 40s, and he's not married, and he starts like crying because he's still single, <laughs> right? And then uh, the, you know, his mother, she cheats it, and she goes, oh, Poochie. You know, she like, starts crying over her, 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 her dead dog, <laughs> right? And they all start to cry. And the, the ramen master comes out, and he's like, what the heck is going on? These people are crying. So then he, he realizes she's made a new... And then, so he takes, he sips the broth, and so after I have he starts to weep. And he runs away. And, um, and he realizes she's learned. And um, what, you, what you find out then, I won't tell you what happens afterwards, but they have this conversation later on. Like, she's learned to put herself into it. And they have this conversation, and one of the things you find out is that the, the ramen chef, he's a broken father, that there's this that the drama, and this is the central drama of the movie, is that he says uh, uh, he says to her, he says to um, Abby, and it's it's really a father daughter conversation. You can see this, and he says to her, you know, a great ramen chef needs to have a successor, and if he doesn't, his life is meaningless. And you guys understand what successor is? It's inheritance. It's an heir. That's what he's talking about. And he says, I tried to teach this to my son. I trained him just, I guess, I know I trained you the way I, I would train my son. And everybody thought I would break you and that you would rebel, but here you are. You're still here. 
And then you know what she says to him? She says to him, I just needed to create something for myself. <laughs> and the ramen chef goes, he rolls his eyes and goes, myself, myself. He's like, what is this self? What is this self? And he says, my son, he said that all the time too, myself, myself. And he wanted to, he decided, I want to study French cooking, dad. And so he moved off to Paris so he could become a French chef because he didn't want to be the owner of a dirty ramen shop. In other words, my own son didn't want to be my heir, didn't want to be my successor, didn't want to really receive the beauty I have to offer him. And then he turns to Abby and says, you're my successor. <laughs> and then they embrace. And, so, and they weep. It's a father-son. It's a father-daughter embrace. Um, you know, let me close my message now. Most of us are just like Abby. We don't know how to receive this inheritance from our father. You know, we think we know. We think we know what's best for our life. We, we know how we're going to make our life turn out good. You know, we're going to go out there. We're going to go someplace and find our boyfriend, right? You know, he's going to love us, right? We're, we're going to start this project, and this thing is the thing. I mean, like, even Abby, she's looking at ramen as something for her. She doesn't know how to receive it from him. She's even trying to approach it according to the law. If I just do all the things the right way, then I will create something for me. She doesn't know how to receive a new identity from him through being an heir, receiving a, a beautiful, glorious inheritance, something that will just really shape you. And, um, you know, God... God looked at this whole world and we're all like this. Even the, the chosen people, the Jews, they don't get it. They, all throughout the, you know, the, you know, it's 39 books of people not getting it. It's like 39 chapters of Abbeys. That's really what it is. It's 39 chapters of Jews acting like Abbey. Thinking if they just do the techniques, then they can get the money or whatever it is that they're trying to get out of it. But they don't know how to really receive real sonship the way Abraham did by faith through the relationship and a deep inheritance and it really couldn't come this offer of faith couldn't come until there was one really important son of Abraham and that's the Messiah and why does it have to be the Messiah because you can't really receive this thing unless you're a son unless you're an heir and it takes a son to show us sonship. And so the son of God, Jesus, this is how he showed us how to be a Messiah. He showed us how to receive the inheritance of being sons and daughters of God like Abraham to receive this incredible relationship that we call covenant that's practiced by faith. And that clinging to the promise. And then therein is the glory. That's something incredibly beautiful that will utterly shape us and give us a whole new identity. And maybe you and I, you're like me. You, you spent much of your life floundering 
not being able to listen. It's, I mean, you, our father might as well be speaking Japanese, which is like, that's what, like she speaks English, he speaks Japanese, and you can just see that there's like, that it's the, 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 this gap. And he says, you're such a stubborn girl. That's what he says to Abby. And you and I, most of us are stubborn and we can't get it. But I want to say these last couple things to you. God sent his son. And um, if you can't give your life to him because you know how to do it, maybe you're like Abby. You can say, I don't know anything about love. Every time I feel it, it just... It goes away, and then I'm left with my failures, my pain, my sadness. And maybe you and I can follow the same advice. Then give your tears to Jesus. And that's why he came. So that on that cross, the law can die. All our tears can go to that cross. All our failures can go to the cross. And then, when we go to Jesus, because He's the chef of the glory of God. He can say to us, and we can say, help me please have spirit. Help me have spirit, because I don't even know how to even approach this. All I know how to do is do the mechanics of going to church, or like, I I read the Bible, but like, I don't know how to have the the spirit, the life-giving broth, so to speak, that really gives it life. Now let me offer you, leave you with this passage. Chapter 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born of the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And here's the verse, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son, (laughs) the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba. Abba is is the intimate word for dad. Dad, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, not a slave to the law, trying to make your own identity, but a son. And if a son, then you could be truly an heir and inherit the family glory through the family business. Let's pray. So much of Old Testament history is people who are your children. They belong to you, Lord, but they act more like Abby. And we're just like her too. We're out like Abby's. We, so many of us, we call ourselves Christian and we do believe in Jesus, but we believe in him more with our heart, with our head, and not enough with our life, with our heart, and really know how to let you be our father, Father. That you, we keep you as a distant God. And we're happy that Jesus paid for our sins, but we don't know how to receive your inheritance. And so, Father, would you give us your spirit? And so that Jesus, through Jesus Christ, the spirit of Christ, that your spirit would be poured in us and we can begin to see the glory of the family business, the redemption of all nations of the whole world, and including starting with ourselves, our own hearts, our own broken hearts, 
We're always, we're trying to make our own identity and we're going to make our own wealth and we're going to have our own possessions instead of receiving the most glorious, beautiful ones, the beautiful name, the beautiful possessions, the incredible inheritance of the family business, of the family glory through our father Abraham and ultimately through our savior, our brother, Jesus Help us to call you Father and pour out your Spirit in us so we could truly receive your inheritance and live unto you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.